Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by WithJack. WithJack exists to help keep you in business by supporting you financially or legally if you have problems with a client. You can get help chasing overdue invoices, support if there's a contract dispute, but most importantly, the confidence to navigate bumpy projects and handle difficult clients. Think of insurance as having an in-house legal team who have your back without the major expense. With zero cancellation fees and monthly plans, you have complete control over your insurance. Visit withjack.co.uk and be a confident freelancer. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter Vic Jimenez. I've never been very good friends with social media. But from listening to this podcast, I've heard so many of your guests say how they found very good clients on LinkedIn. And say, oh, I want to try this. Being a perfectionist to the point that it can become an illness. It makes me very, very obsessive about delivering work to a standard that sometimes is just unrealistic. Now, okay, you've got these three very good clients. Just take the very interesting jobs. Don't take everything. You can do it. I need to repeat that mantra every day. I still fail. Oh, I repeat it to myself. Yeah, so there is Vic, who got in touch, I think it was the start of last year. You know, basically, just as we'd done 200 episodes, he got in touch and said, you know what, I've listened to them all. And I went, really, what have you learned? And he wrote the most amazing blog post, picking out his favourite episodes, what he'd learned. You can find it at beingfreelance.com. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a great blog post. Anyway, Vic is from Catalonia, from Spain. He is a freelance copywriter and what does he call himself? A trans creator. Uh, so it's like translating and creating. We'll talk about it, no doubt. You'll find links to him at beingfreelance.com where you'll find over 250 episodes now. I hope Vic's been keeping up. You can find show notes, transcripts, listen to them all. Remember, it doesn't matter what they do for a living. It's all about the being freelancer. Check out people who do things different to what it is that you do. Uh, thanks to everybody's lovely comments about Kendall last week. Glad you enjoyed that kicking off season 15. We've got plenty to come between now and the end of the year. Uh, also, over in the Being Freelance community. It's getting busy. We've got the Non-Employed a Week Awards back, live Q&A to announce, book club, but also the mastermind uh, that we say isn't really a mastermind because I find the word mastermind can scare people off. It's called the Cookie Collective. It's a load of us BFFs, Being Freelance friends, coming together and supporting our businesses bashing ideas about having accountability we meet every couple of weeks on zoom and we're going to be doing that hopefully uh, in the lead up towards the end of the year so we finish 2021 on a high if that sounds like something you'd like to be involved with come join us in the community or drop me a message and i'll, I'll send you the details uh, also if you've been taking the how to get started being freelance course which is for new freelancers details at the website uh, check your inbox because i'm arranging some sort of online meetup so a chance for us to get to know each other so it's a chance for you to um, tell me about your business but more importantly meet other people who were doing the course so check your inbox and if you've already signed up looking forward to meeting you okay let's move on shall we chat to this week's guest and that is freelance copywriter vic Jimenez. hey vic hola hola steve it's 
very nice to be here. Thanks so much for doing it. Um, as ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? <sighs> Um, th- this is a rather short one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been freelancing for well, two years and a half now, I think. I used to work as a language teacher, as an English teacher at a language school, and started doing my bit and bobs as a freelancer doing marketing things. And I realized the pay could be better than actually teaching. Um, so I decided to take the leap and do this full time. And it worked just fine. Um, it probably wasn't the best decision to go freelance three months before the COVID pandemic started. But <laughs> yeah, it worked. It worked. I can't complain. You make it sound so easy. You took the leap. So you were working as a teacher and then the next day, suddenly you're a freelance copywriter. Uh, okay, maybe it wasn't that short. So I gave them a very long notice so before starting this school year, I I let them know that I wanted to quit, but I was willing to wait until December or until they found someone to take my role. And they found that, that someone by the end of October, I think. And I think the thing that gave me the safety to take that leap was that I had a financial safety net behind me. Mm-hmm. I've always been good with money quote-unquote probably because i just i don't spend a lot of money so i have that there saying okay if anything goes horribly wrong i won't be homeless in six months right so you had a nice buffer of cash waiting for you but how about the work like did you start doing writing on the side while you were still full-time employed what what gave you the confidence that the work was there yeah, I I just finished a postgraduate course in digital marketing. So I was doing some social media and some advertising for a marketing agency. And I had just started doing some writing too. It wasn't as much as copywriting, I would just say content writing. And it worked and people liked how I worked. And yeah, I I didn't see why it should not work. And turns out I was right. <laughs> I love that. So where did you get your clients, though? Who who were your clients? Yeah, my, my first clients were all digital marketing agencies from my area. So it was 100% word of mouth. Word of mouth. So you didn't send emails no. out to, beyond the f- first one that you worked for? No, 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 no. I, I started because a friend of mine... Um, is a freelance SEO and he wanted some content written. So I started doing that for him. Uh, then he worked as a freelancer for a marketing agency and they were looking for some writing and some advertising and they got in touch with me. And from them, I got another marketing agency. It was all word of mouth until, yeah, I set up my website and starting writing silly things on LinkedIn. <laughs> Okay, right. So this was marketing content. Was it Spanish and Catalan only? Is that what you were? Because I know that you, you, well, I know we'll come to it, but you write in English and in Spanish and in Catalan, right? Yeah, so, it, it, it was mostly Spanish and Catalan. i done some writing in English, but I hated it. I was so uncomfortable writing in English. Hmm. The imposter syndrome is, is, is a terrible, terrible thing. 
I didn't write in English professionally, at least, until a year and a half into my freelance journey, sort of, yeah. Interesting. So you said you went on to LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Given that you're bilingual, was that a Spanish profile? Because I, I don't know in LinkedIn, does LinkedIn automatically translate pages to different countries? I don't know. Like, what was your LinkedIn page like? It, it was in English from the very beginning, Right. I think. I knew I had to niche down, but I hated, I hated it. I just, I, I don't want to write just for tourism from now on. So instead of doing that, I tried to niche down and find that in the fact that I am bilingual and tried to become the, oh, he's the Spanish guy who writes in Spanish for English and American companies. And that worked. That's why my communication on LinkedIn always was in English. But I made it clear that I wrote in Spanish. And only just, it was very, very recently, I updated my LinkedIn bio to add that I can write in English too. But yeah, it was a choice to do my communication in English to target an English-speaking client, but offer my services in Spanish. Gotcha. So English-speaking clients and businesses who want to communicate to the Spanish audience could hire you so they'd see you in English, but they knew that you'd get that same message across in in Spanish. So what sort of thing did you do on LinkedIn? The first thing I did on LinkedIn was contact Lord John Esperian. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I needed some guidance. I... I've never been very good friends with social media, but I I believe LinkedIn could be good. From listening to this podcast, I'd heard so many of your guests say how they found very good clients on LinkedIn. And I said, oh, I want to try this. Mm. You know, I, I really, really enjoyed the episode with Gareth Hancock, and he mentioned LinkedIn. I, I remember the episode with John Spirian. And I knew he he knew a lot about the platform. So I got in touch with him. I designed a bit of a strategy and I stuck to it and worked. Yeah. So what was, I mean, without giving away the secrets, <laughs> no, what, no. Was that, what was that strategy? No, there's, there's no strategy. There, there are no secrets. There's a strategy, okay. of course. <laughs> so some, some of the most popular posts I wrote in there were the very best and the shittiest transcreation examples where I compared the English website of a brand to the Spanish website of the same brand and see if they had just translated every word or they had changed the messaging. Um, mm. Some of them got viral-ish, as in people from Active Campaign got in touch because I said their website wasn't very good, but I, I used different words to say that. Mm. They weren't too angry, was it right? Uh, but, and some of them were good. And I suppose that helped people understand why sometimes translating is not enough getting a bilingual copywriter behind it and think, okay, does this need some other changes rather than just changing the words into the target language is is important. No, I love that. I mean, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there. Slight diversion into mm-hmm. the word transcreation. Now, I hadn't come across transcreation until your website. So is that like a well-known phrase or have you made it up? I haven't made it up. Um <laughs> 
because <laughs> it, someone got, has someone so has so it's like a translation but you're you're a creator so it's, it's recreating yeah. it rather than just doing it word for word just a mix between translation and creation i think that when it comes to reality it's just a copywriter who can speak both languages fluently and in an ideal world that word it shouldn't exist every translator should be able to do that but yeah i'd be jobless probably <laughs> okay, let's go back to those uh, sort of case studies, I guess, then. So yeah. you would take an English website, compare it to the Spanish one, and then sort of rip it apart and share them. So how how regularly were you doing that? How how big a, a job was it to do? Um, it, it was a huge job because just choosing the websites, because finding ones that were just, uh, this is all right, wasn't enough. So I either had to find ones that were very, very, very good or pretty bad. But then the thing is, I'm, I'm not a graphic designer and, and I want things to look pretty. And when you put those two things together, you end up spending 10 hours on Canva. Um, and that's not great. That's, that's not great. So I, I wanted to do like one a month because they were rather big. Um, but then I found some very good clients and I had to stop that because I didn't want more clients. Um, I know that's not a good idea. And I will, <laughs> I, <laughs> I will eventually get back to them, just not now. But yeah, they, they serve their purpose, that's for sure. So you said you spent a long time on canvas. So what did the posts look like then? Oh, they the, the, were like 20-ish slides comparing like the headline, the subheadline. Um, mm. the benefits and then on LinkedIn the slides were one way like you could click through them like a slideshow rather than yeah, a long yeah. text post absolutely yeah it's the new document post I say new it's been there for mm -hmm. over a year now but yeah you can just present a slideshow and just keep scrolling that's what LinkedIn likes were you going after like connecting with certain people or were you just hoping that people would find it I've always sent connection requests to people I thought were interesting. And on that one, it was following, again, John Spirian's advice and send a personalized connection request to every single one of them and not be salesy uh, from the very beginning. Just build connections and make friends. Get to see their content, get them to see your content and build a relationship. Time will tell if they are a right fit. And would you target like marketing people at the companies you were hoping to work at, or um, both? I I was targeting a lot of copywriters too, but copywriters who only wrote in English because they could read my content. If I if I target Spanish copywriters, eighty percent of them speak awful English, so it doesn't really make sense. So I targeted English speaking copywriters in the hopes that they got involved in some project that they, where they needed a Spanish guy and they would think uh, of me. Yeah. So, yeah, it was either marketing agencies, marketing people, localization people, uh, companies I would like to work for, and English copywriters. And out of interest, did that have a side benefit beyond potentially bringing you work that, I don't know, like, did you know many people who were copywriters or translators or like doing what you were doing before you started connecting? Oh, with them? no, 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 absolutely not. I've got to know a lot of them and, and they are, they're great. I've met brilliant people through that. So with LinkedIn, do, do you like schedule time 
to go on there or is it just a natural thing but you always go oh i'll go like i'm just wondering how you sort of maintain that steady appearance i think i sort of when it comes to just commenting on people and and keeping those relationships alive i've built the habit of before switching off logging on linkedin and maybe spend anywhere between five to 20 minutes there just sending a personal message or commenting on a post you found interesting um when it comes to actually creating content i did slot in time to do it i i've tried both like block a whole morning and try to create several posts in the morning and i've tried just blocking maybe 30 minutes three or four different days in a week and just create one post a day both make sense i think that for me i prefer blocking half a day or even a full day for content creation when it comes to the creation but in terms of staying connected at the end of yeah. mo- most days, you'll log in and take a look. Yeah, that's out. just before I completely turn the computer off and everything. Just go on LinkedIn, see if, if there's anything interesting. Yeah. And then... Vic, you said that, you know, you weren't a big fan of social media. So is LinkedIn the only social media you do? Yeah. I think I, think I have a Twitter account. Um, <laughs> but no, I... I don't use them. I don't no, that's like good them. because I hear that it's good to focus on... I mean, it makes sense. It's great to focus on just one thing. So you spent all this time ripping other people's websites apart. Mm-hmm. How did you get on with your own website? Uh, I had someone rip it apart too, and that was very helpful. Did you? Yeah. Um, Gareth, I mentioned before, he edited my website. As I said, the imposter syndrome... For me, it was awful when writing in English. I was so, so, so self-conscious when I wrote my website in English. I said, okay, I need to pay someone to to give this a read. So you approached Gareth Hancock. Again, we'll put a link on the website to his episode of Being Freelance. And he rewrote or... No, he made very minor edits. All right. Uh, but, but it gave you that confidence. Yeah, it gave me the confidence to push, publish. I don't think I would have done it without it. But you were saying, of course, as well, that, you know, the difference between an English, Spanish, Catalan website. Is your website just in English? or? Um, I think I accidentally installed a multilingual plugin uh, at some point, And now the website shows like it has three languages. But if you switch languages, it's just in, the same thing in English again. It's just that it says <laughs> Espanol when, when you look. <laughs> if you click on the Espanol one, it does yep. come up with... Oh, no, it shouldn't. It that's, does come up with some Spanish. That's a, that's a disaster. Me, me llamo Victor. Soy copywriter y odio las fotos. Oh, that was brilliant, Steve. Oh, thanks very much. No idea what I said. Actually, no, I do know what I said, because I think that's a copywriter who doesn't like photos. Yeah. Spanish and English are very, very similar. Well, no, it's just because I read the English version of the website first. <laughs> but is that true? Because because you do have awesome and massive photos of yourself on your website. I do hate them, yeah. But again, I paid someone to to take them. Yeah, when I hate something and... And I think the result of something is going to be awful. I just pay someone else to do it for me. That's what I did with the website because I hated it. And I said, oh, this is so, so bad. And until I got Gareth to read it and tell me, 
Could you shut up? This is very good just to change these two words. Um, the same thing for the photos. And I, I, I put them there so big because I paid for them. Cool. And what about the logo? <laughs> yeah, I have a, a friend who is a very good graphic designer and he helped me with that. Yeah, it's a really strong brand. I love it. Anyway, there'll be a link, of course, to Vic's website, uh, beingfreelance.com. I so- need to remember to... to- uninstall that plugin yeah so the plugin bit may have changed by the time yeah. of course it gets yeah. to it going back into your story though so how has your sort of business changed it it sounds like it changed pretty dramatically once you concentrated on linkedin it did basically it changed very dramatically when i started working for stripe i, I i'm not a stripe employee i'm a freelancer who works for them i i need to say this because it's on the contract but but yeah, it's a lot of recurring work and very, very fun, very, very interesting. It's it's an amazing company. And from then, they, they gave me the stability to say no to other projects, especially mm. projects that that I did not find interesting at all from smaller companies here around me, stuff from the word of mouth that was still coming, but I just didn't find interesting at all. So... Yeah, that that just gave me the confidence to say no to those and focus on what I actually found really, really interesting. And I hope that works like that for a long time. I I don't think having just one recurring client works. So I've got like three of them. And besides those three recurring clients, I just try to take the odd jobs that I find very interesting. You would say that most of that work now comes from LinkedIn? All three recurring clients come from LinkedIn Mm. and they are very much what my target audience was at the very beginning. So for Stripe, I'm on the international copywriting team and I write copy in Spanish. Then I work for a language service provider in London and they do translation for software as a service. And the other one is a client from the United States, Aaron. He's amazing. And I do actually write in English for him. So cool. It's so cool that it works. I mean, you said that you you don't do the big sort of tear down case studies that kind of got you noticed anymore just because mm-hmm. you don't have time. But are you still going into LinkedIn on a daily or weekly basis? Like how, how much tending to that reputation and connections does it take? Is what I'm, I'm going to LinkedIn as a, okay, let's not lose the relationships you've built. Uh, and I still comment on other people's stuff and I speak through direct messages with, with them. I'm just not creating content at the moment, but I want that to change. Not, not for the client side of things, just because I actually do enjoy creating content. I just couldn't do it until now because I was overbooked because I'm dumb. But I've, I've made the decision to just now, okay, you've got these three very good clients. Just take the very interesting jobs. Don't take everything. You can do it. Yeah. I need to repeat that mantra every day. I still fail, but I repeat it to myself. So you have to tell yourself to be able to turn down work. Yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose it's counterintuitive. I imagine when you are new to freelancing and all you've heard before going freelance is, oh, be careful because now it's not guaranteed that by the end of the month you get the paycheck, blah, blah, blah. So you try to take everything and say yes to everyone. 
but it's a skill you have to learn, I suppose, a very important one. I'm mm. still trying. Okay, it's a work in progress, but how do you deal with sort of managing your your time? I'm quite organized now. I'm using ClickUp for myself and I've got everything synchronized with my Google Calendar. That works. I stick to that and I end up working more hours than my ClickUp tells me I have to work, but that's fine. Um, And ClickUp, for those who don't know, ClickUp is meant to do what? Uh, ClickUp is an organization tool like Asana, Trello and the sorts. Just have your projects in there. You can break the tasks and add time estimates to each one of them. And then you distribute those tasks and say, okay, so this Monday I will work for six hours doing client work. And then I go like an hour to create content. And I end up working 12 hours doing client work because I'm stupid. That's all right. (laughs) So you can actually plan out your week quite intensely. It's just at the moment it isn't this. You're you're the one ignoring the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm always the one ignoring myself and neglecting my needs. <laughs> like when it comes to pricing and things, how have you found that? Uh, I I hate giving this answer, but it is it is the real answer. It's hourly billing is what works for me now. I want to move away from it, but I think it makes sense when you start. So, okay, make sure how much money do I spend every month? How much money do I want to earn every month? How many hours do I want to work every month? And just make that division. And hourly billing is the easiest way to calculate that. Again, I I don't want to just make a list of episodes uh, in the show notes, but I think it was Jonathan's episode. He he talks about his value-based pricing and that, that episode was mind-blowing the way he approaches it it was great it's it's just more difficult I think it takes practice it takes confidence and I'm rather new to freelancing and I'm not very good with self-confidence so it's going to take a while before I can finally get to this completely value-based pricing although within the realms of hourly pricing because you sort of made it sound like you know you might estimate that something will take you x amount of time but it ends up taking you x plus five are you able to bill for those plus five hours within like your contracts or are you working and your hourly rate is effectively going down if you see what i mean it depends for some of the clients i've got like a maximum amount of hours i can work with them per month and usually the projects i get are slightly under it so if I if something takes me a bit more, it's okay. Uh, for others, I yeah, I just take the hit myself, and I wanted to earn X, and I end up earning half X per hour, and that's fine. Fine because well, yeah, that that's fine as long as your initial X makes sense. If your initial amount you are charging is oh, if I don't work forty hours per week at this rate, I'm not going to pay. The rent that doesn't make sense you may need to rethink that um but in my case as i said before i'm quite good at controlling my money and i spend very little money mm. so i i have room to experiment there yeah i may nerd see if i just i i 
play role playing games and I say at home and read books. That's all I do. I don't spend money. <laughs> but um, a nerd who likes to experiment, a nerd who sounds like you, you like to listen and learn and try things. Is that fair to say? It, it is very fair. Yeah. What would you say are some of the key things, you know, that we haven't touched upon that you've picked up along the way? Uh, I think that exposing yourself to knowledge from outside your, I don't want to say comfort zone, but your typical interest is very, very good. Like I've learned, I, I, I already knew some things about branding, but mostly when it relates to tone of voice and written communication. Uh, and by exposing myself to graphic designers on LinkedIn, I've learned so much about these adjacent uh, topics. So reading and listening to podcasts that are not directly related to what you do, but are somewhat adjacent, can can help you grow massively. And how have you found sort of managing client relationships? It's been okay. Yeah. Probably because since we, they are bigger companies uh, and sometimes we are not in the same time zone, communication has been over email. I can see how it can be a pain in the ass to take phone calls if they are smaller clients in your area that they come from word of mouth and your cousin gave them your phone number they want to call you when they have questions. That that can be annoying. In my case, communication has been easy. I don't know, just be a normal human being and they are normal human beings, so it's just a person having a relationship with another person, just the money is involved. But as long as you're professional and you deliver, that shouldn't mm. be an issue. Now, Vic, as you know, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? And I, and I used to do this with my students when I taught English. So I, I had like hundreds of versions of these sentences once just using the present simple, some of them just using the past simple. Ah. They always had a theme. For you, I, I chose three that are related to failures and mishaps in my life because I'm such an, opt- an optimistic person. Let's see how this goes. I've played football, handball, and esports competitively with little to no success. <laughs> Number two is the last time I went to the UK, British Airways lost my guitar. And... Number three is my band's first and only international gig got cancelled an hour after we got to the airport. Oh, wow. Okay, it's a couple of musical ones in here. So what, what, what's your band's name? Oh, or what, an what, old what, band what, or are you still in a band? No, no. We split up some, yeah, like a couple of months after the cancelled concert. <laughs> so what was the band called? Olvido. Olvido. Yeah. And where were you due to play? In Poland. In Katowice. And you arrived in Poland or you arrived at the airport in Spain about to get on a plane to it? We arrived in Poland and we (laughs) got a call from the band that had invited us to play with them there, saying that the security reason the venue was closed and we could not play. Oh, man. Well, it, it was even worse for them, I think, because it was like their end of tour concert after having played all over Europe and it was their first concert in their hometown. Um, so it was, it was awful. It, it was bad for us because we had trouble, but for them it was like, oh, this is mm. such an anticlimactic end to, to their tour. 
quite a big band then. Not really. It's just that it was so niche, I suppose. We we played street metal music, and these guys were big enough that they tour Europe, uh, and they came to Spain. We we open for them during their concerts in Spain, and then yeah, we made with friends, and they asked they asked us if we wanted to play at their big day back home. That sounds true. But one time you flew to the UK and British Airways lost your guitar. Yeah, it, it showed up two weeks later in Turkey. So effectively, <laughs> my my guitar struggled further than me. Yeah, your your guitar went on its own European tour. Yep. <laughs> okay, and you have played handball, something else, volleyball was it? Esports, no, football, handball, and esports. So, what was the esport that you chose? I used to play League of Legends competitively. What role did you play in League of Legends? I was a support player. Does that make any sense to you? And were you in a team? (laughs) I was in a team back when I was at university and we played as university leagues. Uh, This was very, very early into the whole esports, at least the League of Legends esports scene. Uh, Which is huge. uh, it, it is massive now. It is mm. massive. Yeah. Do you know what? If you'd have asked me a few months ago, but if you'd have mentioned League of Legends a few months ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even known it was a real game. But I've been working on the Red Bull Save Your Game podcast, mm-hmm. editing it, and so it's an education. I now know a lot <laughs> about esports. <laughs> and I've, I've uh, still not played League of Legends. But yeah, blows my mind. They literally play in stadiums, don't they, with people watching they, them? The, they do. Like the big people. And handball, you play. So, where did you play that? Handball was my first sport, uh, when I was in school and high school. Um, I, I always had to be the nerd who chose a different sport. All my friends played football, I wanted to play handball. Um, then when I went to university, right before going to university, I broke my knee, I stopped playing handball, and a couple of years into university, I started playing football. Um, and then I started playing League of Legends later on. So which one is the lie? I mean, it could be that, of course, you have never played any sports and you've never picked up... Actually, yes, and maybe you've never picked up a computer. Get Maybe that is the blatant lie. Maybe you don't like sport at all. Maybe you never have even played League of Legends. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I'm going to say that one is the lie. I'm sorry, Steve. You're ah! That one was very true. Ah! Okay, you never lost your guitar? I didn't. They did. <laughs> so so that means the Polish one was a lie? Yeah, we've never played internationally. We, it was very <laughs> niche. We're just a Spanish band playing stream metal. Nobody wants to see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm kind of glad that you didn't travel all the way to poland to be but i was totally you that was ah, never trust copywriters on this they're too good at telling stories um okay well congratulations you did save it you practiced it a lot with your students I feel so proud this is the accomplishment of the year thank you <laughs> now uh vic what would you say is like your biggest challenge of being freelance the work-life balance for sure This comes from being a perfectionist to the point that 
it can become an illness. <laughs> uh, and it, it makes me very, very obsessive about delivering work to a standard that sometimes it's just unrealistic. And that leads to overworking and, yeah, struggling at maintaining a good work-life balance. That I would say that is the main struggle for me. So it's, it's being able to switch off? Yeah, I think it's, it's being able to switch off and, and stick to, to, the, to the plan when it comes to, okay, this is the amount of hours I want to work per week and that's it. And the rest of it is it's about living and having friends and and having a family and time for yourself. Um, but sometimes I I just can't do it because I want to make things even better. It's just not feasible. All right. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be, Vic? Mm, I would tell myself that being freelance doesn't have to be spending 16 hours a day working at a restaurant because that's that's what i'd seen before that my, my dad self-employed and his life has always been spending 16 hours a day working at the restaurant and that's why i didn't want to take the leap i i didn't want to become that but it can be very very different it can be very fun as long as you have a safety net behind you it doesn't have to be anything crazy just be sure that if it doesn't work out after a month you won't be homeless just do it you're probably good enough to do it and build relationships i think that's the other key don't look for clients look for people people get in touch with people speak with people and they pay people brilliant vic it's been so great to talk to you go to beingfreelance.com as well as links to vic's website and linkedin obviously we'll put links to other episodes and stuff that we've talked about today so yeah go to beingfreelance.com links to gareth hancock's episode john experience for example jonathan starks that you mentioned as well uh i'll i'll try and remember if there were any others okay oh and we'll have to put a link uh, to vic's post as well that we mentioned earlier uh about uh, the fact that he'd listened to what was it? I think at the time it was about 200 episodes even though we're now over 250 uh, I, I can't remember but it was, it was just over 200 it was, was it? July last year I think yeah. wow um, yeah so basically he'd listened to every single episode and then wrote uh, just such a brilliant post uh, about it you can see that at the website beingfreelance.com and, and hey listen if you've listened to all the episodes and you've got thoughts and you'd like to ever write for the Being Freelance website do let me know get in touch oh and don't forget if you want to join other freelancers from around the world come join us in the being freelance community we hang out each day but we also do special things like live q and a's we do the book club which vic's been to actually a few times haven't you Mm -hmm. yep he might not like having his photo taken but his lovely face was there beaming in uh, from spain so yes uh, do come and join us we are all there waiting to say hello to you and you can find details at beingfreelance.com but vic right now thank you so much and all the best being freelance thank you so much for having me Steve. pleasure to be here so there goes Vic. As I mentioned, more details of everything I do with Being Freelance at beingfreelance.com. Being Freelance is run by me, Steve Folland. I'm a freelance video and podcast creator and 
but do this on the side if you like it if it's helped you at all you can always support it by going to beingfreelance.com slash coffee and topping up my virtual biscuit tin that's my like my Kofi page okay thanks very much for listening always appreciate it i'll see you next time and in the meantime all the best being freelance <laughs>